You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 63. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures mate for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. Hey guys, so... We had had a bunch of Q&A questions that we, with all of our other podcasting, hadn't been able to answer. So when we were on the road up to Tethered Together Conference in Providence, Rhode Island, we were teaching there and we decided, hey, we've got a, what is it, like five and a half, six hour car ride, Cassie? Yep. Quite a bit of a car ride. Why don't we answer your Q&A questions? So we kind of did an impromptu on the road. I don't know, Cassie, what are we calling it? Questions on the road. Questions on the road. Yeah. So we're going to answer your questions. Thank you guys so much for sending them in. We appreciate it. Uh, We are teaching at some other events this year as well. So keep an eye on your emails. You know, if you're around and you're live, we'd love to see you in person. And uh, so if you're ready, we're going to get started on giving you your answers on the run. All right, our first question is from Jenny from DC35. My husband and I have been poly for five years. We don't really get involved with each other's romantic interests. We have a gathering of our partners and metas three times a year. Everything has been going great for years, but last month during our poly gathering, my 22-year-old sister was there. I found out she has been dating my husband for four months. I'm not comfortable with this at all. He's 32 and she's my sister. What is an ethical way to handle this? So I guess first and foremost for me, there's somewhat of a problem here in that you're just finding out that they've been dating for four months. It would be respectful in a situation where you know that it's probably going to be problematic for your partner, such as, hey, I'm thinking about dating your sister. That would probably be something to check in with you and give you a heads up on beforehand. I mean, you know, we never want to be in a, a position of uh, dictating our partner's relationships, right? Who they're dating, what that looks like. But at the same time, this is a situation where just due to the particular situation, the fact that she's your sister, it would have been very polite and considerate for that to be brought up to you ahead of time. Especially before you're at like a gathering of metamors and friends and things like that and that being the place where it's brought up to you yeah that's a good point that's a that's a shitty place to find out yeah so i think at this point there's a couple of things to keep in mind one is your sister is an adult it might have like a little bit of a a squick factor that she's 22 and he's in his 30s but she is an adult your partner's an adult and this kind of situation has to be handled with more of placing your concerns than a dictation of their relationship because you still want to be ethical in the means of them being able to have their own relationship and you not interfering. 
but I do think it's fair for you to put out your concerns and maybe even to have a little bit of weird feelings about the fact of how that was brought up to you. And even weird feelings about the fact that it's a thing at all, right? I think that's one of those things that it's perfectly natural to be squicked out about. Yeah. I think this is one of those things that I think for most people would not be comfortable. Not saying that it's wrong, but it's a situation that would make a lot of people uncomfortable and is going to take some working through. Yeah, I guess we can address the age difference for a minute, right? It's 22 and 32, I think. Yes, 22 and 32. So a 10-year difference. Right. Well, and I'm not not so much on the 10-year thing. I mean, I will say offhand, you know, I, I think this is one of those situations that's different for everyone. That is a big, big maturity difference between a 22-year-old and a 32-year-old in, in almost any situation. I mean, hell, I think you and I had a discussion back when I was like 25 that I'd never date anybody that young again. So curious as to your thoughts on that for for a piece. Well, as I said, I, I think this is one of those situations where they're both adults. I think really at the end of the day, the maturity level is going to be your husband's problem, not your problem. And really, that's how this relationship is going to need to be handled is less big sister and more wife and having a metamore that my husband is going to have to filter through any difficulties that are going to come up there because of immaturity. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I know, and and this is one of those things that's easier said than done in this situation because it is your husband and your sister. But, you know, there's a whole triangulation factor to this, which is at the end of the day, their problems should be their problems. It shouldn't be something that you're getting pulled into the middle of or even necessarily concerning yourself with. And as I said, I, I understand that that's one of those things that is easier said than done, but it is something to keep in mind. Now, in these situations, it's really easy to start kind of going down the the long thought process of like, how are we going to explain to our parents that my husband is my sister's boyfriend, et cetera, et cetera. And there might be a lot of feelings about that and where you're coming up with being uncomfortable. Recognize this has only been going on for four months. It's still kind of early. You don't know what's going to happen, so deal with what's going on right now versus uh, worrying about things that may be coming up later. Yeah, so I mean, as far as how you can ethically handle it, I mean, I, I... It's not your decision on the one hand. On the other hand, I think it's perfectly fine to go and tell both your husband and your sister, like, hey, hey, I'm, I'm squicked about this. And B, I think more so that I see this as a problem that's something that you... Something that you had to know was quite likely to be problematic for me, you not only didn't ask me about, because I don't necessarily think it's a situation where they needed to ask your permission, but you didn't even bother to mention it, and then on top of that, showed up at a gathering. And I think, you know, honestly, I find that, I don't want to say concerning, but that isn't a good sign in my mind as to where people are at with considering you and just generally, I guess, how they're approaching Polly and their relationships. And I do think that's something that it is very worth having a, a, a frank discussion about, right? Because that's not the kind of behavior that you want in a partner. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. And I think that this falls into kind of a different category. It's its own kind of monster, And even though you and your husband historically really haven't gotten involved in each other's partnerships, 
this is one of those circumstances that I think should have been giving a little bit more care and a little bit more of a conversation involving you, be it that it's something that you're going to be very connected in. Yeah, so I think the answer is that's a conversation for you to go have. Our next question is from John, 41, from New York. Rigel and Cassie, how do you handle vacations? How did you know it was time to take a partner on a vacation? How do you split trip costs, hotel, food activities, especially if there's a large difference with income? How do you spend time on your triad poly trips, doing everything together or doing things with different partners? Any suggestion on how to make our first triad vacation go well would be appreciated. So there's actually a lot of questions here. I guess we should take them one at a time, starting with how do you know when it's time to take a partner on vacation? I think this is one of those things that's going to be unique for everybody. It's not like at two months of dating or at 5.6 dates, you know you can take someone on vacation. I think this is more of dependent upon the relationship, how much interaction you've had with this person. What I would say is how much time have you had with this person staying with you before maybe taking a trip? If you've never had more than like maybe a night spent over or one or two nights a week, it might not be the time to go on a five-day, seven-day vacation. Yeah, and I'll add to that too, right? This is one of those things where a part of it really depends on the vacation. So, you know, have you guys spent any time kind of living under the same roof or spending a lot of time under the same roof, right? How long's the vacation compared to that? How far away is the vacation? Like, how hard is it going to be? You know, like, say that you guys, I'll, I'll just give an example here, but say you guys have never really spent a lot of time under the same roof, well then, you know, going on a vacation a couple hours away from your house at a hotel for a couple nights is way different than, you know, you go on a two-week-long trip to Italy or whatever, or, I mean, even even Florida, you know, but somewhere far away, and you get there and you realize this person really gets on your nerves, you have a blow-up, and now you guys are stuck together for, like, the next two weeks. Yeah, so my thing is, is... If you haven't done a trip before, if you haven't been able to give that an experiment, go someplace shorter. All right, so the next part of this question is really how do you split trip costs, uh, especially if there is a large difference in income? That's a, that's a really interesting question. Well, let me give kind of a, a general thing first off, which is uh, I really think that Venmo is the Google Calendar for poly people of the of the financial world, you know, we we had a uh, had a friend once who talked about how what basically if it's not Google Calendar or no, you can't do poly without Google Calendar. What was the? Yeah, you can't do poly without Google Calendar. Which is is pretty true for most of us, right? And Venmo is kind of the financial portion of that. If you've never used Venmo, it's something you can for free uh, send money to your friends, request money, and it's it's super easy to use. And you know, we use it all the time for things. Amanda uses that to pay her portion of the bills. You know, we use it with other partners when we go out to dinners or, or you know, like we go to escape rooms and we wind up buying the tickets because they have to be bought in advance and people can Venmo us back. It's great for splitting gifts. So I will, I will as a first part of this, say that uh, if you're poly and you're in a situation where you ever have to handle splitting bills with your other partners, even if it's just for dinner, Venmo is a great way to go. Yeah. So now we're kind of on to the actual question because you kind of answered the handling it, but not the splitting it aspect. And 
when it comes to finances, it can be pretty difficult when you say have a, maybe a married couple who has a lot more finances than a partner who is, is an incoming partner who has less finances. So I think some of the things to keep in mind is when you're talking about taking a partner on a trip, was this a trip that you were already planning, right? Is this something that you were already planning to do? There was already tickets bought. And now really, rather than a splitting thing, this is something where your partner is now coming along. I think that's a big difference between the three or four or five of us are sitting down and planning this trip together versus, oh, we had this trip planned and now we're inviting you along. Yeah, I mean, I would say... Obviously, if you can split it, that's ideal. And whether you want to split it by, like, an even chunk or, you know, by a percentage of income, um, you know, so, like, you can you can say we each make this much money and then, you know, divide it according to that. Um, any way that works for all of you is fine. What I will say is I would just make sure uh, that you're not coming out financially the worst for having this person come. And I'm not going to say never, but, you know, as a general rule, if you wind up constantly doing that for for another partner, this is where resentment is going to come in eventually, right? So in an ideal world, in any kind of financial situation, talking about poly, you would like the person to at least be pulling their weight and ideally for it to be better off, everybody to be better off for having more people along than worse off. Yeah, so if it's a situation where you're finding that you are having to cover more than your share, that's a time to really sit down and have a conversation because that can only happen for so long before there's issues. Yeah. And we have an episode, by the way, I'll link to it in the show notes. I'm going to have to look. I don't remember the episode number offhand, but it's, uh, has a part about how Polly's handle the bills where we talk about a couple different models that we've seen, uh, poly groups use, to divide finances, although that is more of a living together situation. But as I said, the main rule, you can divide it however feels good for everybody involved. Just make sure that it doesn't feel bad for everybody involved. Yeah. So next part of this question is, how do you spend time on your triad poly trips? Everything together or doing different things with different partners? So I think it depends on what kind of trip it is, right? You know, if you guys have bought tickets to do X, Y, and Z on the trip, obviously you're going to spend that time together. What I will say is rather than how to is what not to do. So don't make people do things on trips they don't enjoy. So say you're doing a trip somewhere to an amusement park and you have one partner who really, really doesn't like roller coasters, like, and two of you do. Like the two of you go do some roller coasters, let the other partner do the other thing. Um, I think more when you're doing especially vacations it's about not trying to make people do things that they don't feel like doing versus well should we spend time apart should we spend time together etc etc yeah i mean really make sure that people aren't doing what they don't want to do and it you know this really comes down to what you guys enjoy and what you guys want to do i mean if you guys all three of you want to spend every moment of the trip together that's fine if you have different people who enjoy different things and say, uh, I don't know, two of you really want to go to the pool and the other one doesn't really enjoy the pool and wants to go do something else, that's fine too, right? This is really just something that you guys need to negotiate. There's not a right or wrong answer to this. Yeah, like 
a few years ago, we went to Vegas and Amanda and I went to the pool and you went and worked out one morning. Like this doesn't have to be a, this is the right way to do poly vacations. It's more, what is the best way for all of us? Earl, 48 from Missouri. Women have so many beautiful, sexy, slutty options in dressing for play, but I don't think there's a lot of men's fetish clothing. And the stuff I have seen looks somewhat silly. Suggestions for what looks sexy on a man in a BDSM context. Wow, uh, I will, I'm not sure this is my strong suit. Well, so I think the first thing that I'll say is uh, some of this depends on your style and uh, also where you're at, right? So there's still some some fetish stuff that's like super, uh, you know, if you're at more of like a fetish kind of event than what I'd consider a BDSM event, that's like super fetishy, latex, you know, full body suits kind of stuff, right? And then there's other events that are going for like a more refined vibe where like they really want you to dress up nice and wear a suit, like some of the balls and things like that. If you're just going out to a normal you know, event in a play space or a conference, then like I said, I think part of it matters for kind of what you do and the style that you're trying to project, right? Obviously, if you're a submissive person, right, you may want to wear clothes that show that depiction of some sort. And if you're a dominant person, you probably don't want to be wearing a puppy suit, right? Like, so there's certain, there's certain clothing that can give a vibe, but again, it's going to come down to your style and what you feel comfortable in. I would say before anything else, making sure that you are selecting things that you feel sexy in and that you feel good in. Right. So back to the style thing for a second, right? Like, and it can, it can change depending on the time and what you're doing. So when I'm doing, you know, like rough body play or interrogation scenes or things like that, I will tend to wear more military-ish looking clothing um, because the girls like that for those scenes, right? So yeah, again, it can be really dependent on what you're doing. Now, as more of a general rule as far as what to wear, Cassie, I'm, I'm tipping that your direction. So, I mean... First of all, you kind of touched it, like when in Rome, do as the Romans, right? So if you're going to a scene party that is more of a dress up thing, like a ball, you want to do that. If you're going to a leather event, obviously you want to dress in a way that is respectful to the culture that you're in. Certain play spaces, certain events are going to have a idea of what certain folks should and should not be wearing. It'd be good to kind of read up on that stuff. For instance, if you go to a leather event and you haven't been in the leather community for a long time, coming in decked out fully in leather might not be the representation that you want to give. So when in Rome, do as the Romans. And then from there, dress in things that make you look good, right? Like there's obviously ways to be more flattering and less flattering. So say your common scene party on a Saturday night, you could either show up in a sluggish t-shirt and sweatpants from work, or you could put on some nice pants and a nice t-shirt or a blazer or something like that. And I would say go with the second, right? So you want to dress in things that 
give a good appearance. I don't think it's so much an importance of being fetish gear or being kink gear as much as giving off a sexy vibe, you feeling good in your clothes, and it being something that compliments you. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll say, you know, and this is kind of, and like I said, fashion is, is certainly not my strong suit. But what I can say is make sure that whatever you're wearing fits. Like that is going to be step one. Like once you've decided kind of what you want to project and you know the kind of event that you're going to, whatever you're choosing to wear, make sure that it fits. Like that is the single most important thing I think you can do to look sexy going out to anything. Do you have any other tips as far as different kinds of clothes for men for like both dom and sub as far as looking sexy since we don't really know which end they're asking on? So I'm certainly not a fashion person either, but a few things that I will say kind of give more off a dominant vibe are things like suit jackets being a little bit more sophisticated in like things matching. And what I mean by that is sort of what you would wear to a like a an evening out in the vanilla world that gives off a little bit more of a dominant vibe using your toys as accessories gives off a dominant vibe it's one of those things where it's not necessarily part of your clothing but it can be part of your getup so for instance uh some some domly folk will like have holsters for like their flogger or things like that that gives off that like little hint of like this is what I do. For submissive folks, I think that showing a little skin is always helpful, you know, whether it's shoulders. I'm not saying like show up necessarily naked, but what I'm saying is like shirts that show shoulders, things like that. Also, for a lot of Domly people, they like looking at submissives that have more of that like somewhat military style to them. Our next question is from Gail, 26, Maryland. I have a new sub and he says... He's into body worship. How do you dom your submissives during body worship play? So I think the main thing with this is not getting too far off into the idea that body worship is somehow different than other scenes. Body worship is more about you feeling like you're a goddess, more like your body is being put on a pedestal. So that's going to be a lot more of the confidence that you're putting out to your partner. Yes, I am beautiful. You know, smell me, lick me, things like that. And the way that you shift body position, then it is about how do I dom my person as a body worship scene? It's more about the scene focused on you and your particular body, but everything else is is not really all that different than any other scene. I think it'll be helpful for you to recognize that you can do whatever you do at any other kind of scene, right? Like you don't have to be like, well, it's a body worship scene, so now I can't smack my partner, I can't pull hair. You can still do all of those things. It's more about making sure that it's focused on you. And what's going to feel really good for your partner is you having them do things for you that feels good. So if you know that it feels really good to have your feet rubbed, have your feet rubbed. If it feels great to have your partner perform oral sex, make them perform oral sex on you. Really, it's about taking advantage of that moment and being like, these are the things I want. This is my body. Give me all of the good feels for it and enjoying it. 
And if you're looking for something for like inspiration, if you've never seen the show American Gods, check it out. There's a, a deity, I can't think of what her name is right now. It's like Billquist, I think. She is fantastic and lovely. And she's this sexual goddess deity that sucks the life out of people. And I'm not saying do that. That Don't. spoiler alert eats people with her vagina. I just want to put that out there and, and let you know, let people know who you're recommending as a role model here. Okay. Yeah, she eats people with her vagina. I'm not saying do that part. But if you're looking for some inspiration before the vagina eating part of this, some of the 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 wording and the way that she talks to the people that she's having sex with can give you a really good idea. You know, like worship me, tell me that I'm beautiful, tell me that you want me. Those sort of things is, is really what your submissive is eager to hear, is wanting to hear. So there's your homework. Go ahead and go watch American Gods. Check that out. Okay. Our next one is from Holly from PA33. I shave when I get ready for sex. The next day I get little bumps slash acne, razor rash every time I shave. I would like some suggestions for hair removal methods, products, or ideas for getting rid of the rash. I want to look sexy longer than one day. Yeah, so I mean, I do have some suggestions for this, but the first thing that I will say is everybody's body has a different tolerance level for this stuff. And part of the answer to this, just offhand, may be that you may not be able to shave every time that you're getting ready for sex, right? Part of the whole thing with getting ingrown hair is as if we're shaving too often and we're shaving over skin that's already irritated, it aggravates that stuff. So I do have some other suggestions, but the first thing I wanna put out there is you may have to shave less. Also, something else that I know for myself when I am shaving is it's better for me to shave a few hours or earlier in a day before actually having sex because the rubbing will uh, cause me to have razor burn. So maybe you want to look at like, am I shaving like 20 minutes before getting jiggy with it? Maybe I need to let my skin have some time to recoup before. Yeah. So, so then there's, there's kind of like this weird dichotomy, right? Where if you're shaving with a razor razor, you want to use a fresh blade. Uh, I mean, not necessarily every time, but you want to use sharp enough that it's not pulling and stuff because that will aggravate your skin. But on the other hand, if you're finding that every time you shave, um, you're getting razor burn, part of that may be that, you know, when you're using uh, like a, a hand razor, right, it cuts the hair down super, super close. And the closer that the hair is cut down, the more likely that is to be irritated. So something that can help people is if you get like a pair of electric clippers, it's intended for shaving body hair, it cuts the hair just a tiny bit longer. And because the hair is a little further out of the skin, that can make a big difference in not getting razor burned. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, yes, you might have to do that a little bit more frequently, but from the visual, like I just shaved, there's not a lot of difference. I have a few suggestions. One, stay away from Nair. Don't use Nair on your on your Ghibli bits. It's bad. A lot of people, including myself, have tried it and it makes your privates bleed. It's not a good idea. And a lot of times it will not help with razor burn. So that's something to avoid. If you're having a lot of issues with razor burning with shaving, you may want to try waxing. 
for some people, that is a huge help. For a lot of vagina havers, it's like a, a, a big difference of waxing months a month versus shaving every couple of days can really do a big impact on how much you break out and things like that. Yeah, I will say with waxing, just to be careful, because some, some of these people, some of the oils and stuff they use can actually cause you to break out if you're sensitive to that stuff. So you can give waxing a shot. Just be careful about the oils and stuff that they're putting on you afterwards. There's also a product called Tenskin that's like an aftershave solution. You can get it on Amazon. It works really, really well, speaking from experience. Yeah, I use that stuff all the time. Yeah. Um, the other thing, too, and this isn't a product thing, but... You may also want to pay attention to what you're wearing as far as clothes after you shave. If you're wearing stuff that is irritating your skin after you shave, um, and for some people that might be stuff that's too tight, uh, that can also lead to irritation and razor burn and stuff as well. So that's all stuff to pay attention to. Give all that stuff a shot. You know, but like I said, at the end of the day, you may not be able to shave as frequently as you would like. And that's okay too, right? Because it's better to be a hair more stubbly than to be broken out. Our next question is Beth, 29, from Maryland. I am mono and my partner is polysexual. It's been a really hard adjustment. I'm starting to think that poly-mono relationships are not meant to be. I'm managing my jealousy, but some things just don't seem right. I've noticed that when he gets new partners, we have less sex. Is this something that's always to be expected? Also, I notice he starts penny-pinching on our date nights when he has new partners, but is spending twice as much on dates with others. Are these things I can talk to him about, or am I just asking for an argument? I think the short answer is yes. There are definitely things that you can talk about. But it's going to be how you talk about them that's going to determine whether or not it's just picking a fight, right? There's the difference between saying, hey, we're having sex less, and you know, I'm noticing this thing happening, and I would like to do things more, and being accusatory and being like, it's because you have another partner. So... I think it's going to be really strongly deterrent on how you bring up these conversations. Polymono relationships are a hard thing um, in a lot of ways, but they most certainly can work. And, you know, the, the thing that I'm seeing from your questions, right, is this almost isn't really even a polymono thing. And it sounds like, you know, from what you're sitting here, that you're doing a good job of recognizing what it is where your needs are actually being infringed on versus just, you know, getting the feels that your partner is going out with other people. And the thing is, you know, these things that you recognize, these are things that even if you were poly would be, or even if you were both monogamous, that would be uh, something that you needed to resolve and something that you would need to have a conversation with your partner with. So I will say, it sounds like from your question that you are on the right track in recognizing where you aren't getting your needs fulfilled and where you need to have that discussion with your partner. So the first answer is absolutely yes. These are things that you should be talking to your partner about. And as I said, these are things you'd be talking to your partner about if you were both poly. So I think let's go into some tips for how to actually talk to your partner about this stuff is probably good. Yeah, so let's start with the sex because that was the first part of the question. I think it would be useful for you to first have a conversation about the fact that your sex life is going downward, like there's less sex right now, things like that, versus trying to pin it to when your partner has other partners or newer partners. You may find that you get a better result saying, hey, you know, we've only had sex once this week or twice this week, and normally we have sex this amount of times. 
versus bringing the other partners into that conversation. Because your partner may say, oh, yeah, we only have had sex twice this week. We should try having sex more. And the important part to that, right, is regardless of exactly if you're approaching it that way or not, is to... It's perfectly fine to say that your sexual needs aren't being met, right? You don't need to pin it to another party. You don't need to do any of that stuff. It's perfectly fine to be like, hey, I've been feeling sexually unfulfilled lately. I'm not having enough sex. What can we do to resolve that? So I think that's the first way of going about this. Another idea might be to try our desire map. We can link that in the show notes. And we have a a corresponding podcast on desire differences. But I think in this case the map itself would be really helpful for you guys because your partner may not even know that you're feeling like you're not getting enough sex. And part of this might be that NRE, you know, he's getting his needs met and not recognizing it. So using that might be a little bit helpful for you guys to have some some nonverbal communication around it. So as far as the part around your partner is penny pitching on your dates and then going out and spending more money. So here's the thing. First off, I don't know if you guys have joint finances or not, and that's going to change this conversation a little bit. First off, I I do want to validate you on this and say that is a perfectly reasonable thing, again, to be, to have the feels about and to want to change, right? If you have joint finances, I'll address this from that end. If you have joint finances, it's perfectly reasonable to be like, look, let's sit down, let's do a budget for this month. This is how much money we're allocating to our own date nights. This is how much money we're allocating to you going out with other partners. That's a perfectly reasonable discussion to have. Another way to approach that, and this is a way that we suggest to people a lot of times, is you can have you know, a certain pot for you two to go out on dates. And again, this is if you have joint finances. And then you guys can each have a certain amount of free money. And if he wants to spend however much of his free money on his other partners, that's his own business. But Having your own free money is something that's generally helpful, not just in poly, but in with your finances in general. And the idea is whatever he's choosing to spend his free money on is his own problem. But in this case, you would want to set aside a certain amount of money for you guys to go on dates that's separate from that. Yeah, and this can be really helpful with having your own free money, be it that you are mono, right? This gives you the opportunity to be able to go out and do things on your own as well. And I'm pretty sure from the conversation that I have with this person, they do have joint finances. So I think that it would be fair if you do have joint finances to to bring up that, you know, you're not really comfortable and you're not feeling like, you know, you'd like to be able to have money for you guys to do stuff. I think that's a a fair conversation. Now, I would want to touch on, though, how briefly how they could resolve this if they did not have joint finances. If you don't have joint finances, I think this needs to come down to two things. One, you don't want to be comparing, right? So if you don't have joint finances, you don't know that your partner is spending all this money on other people. You don't actually know the situation there. You don't know if he's splitting the bill with his dates or whatever. So you don't really want to make that assumption. I think this really has to go back to having a conversation about what you guys want to do and how you'd like to split your dates and how you guys go out on things. Because really, what your partner's doing with someone else, you don't know, for one, and two, isn't really gonna get you what you're looking for. So it might make more sense to have a conversation around, you know, I noticed that 
you're not chipping in or you're not wanting to do certain things. And these are the things I'd like to do. And this is how I'd like to see our date nights handled. And our last question is from Harvey, Maryland, 34. I have had a partner for over a year. She is really nice, but I'm not serious. She wants to spend all her time with me, meet my family, coworkers. How do I break it to her? I'm not looking for that kind of relationship. So I think there's a couple things here. The first thing that I will say to this is uh, when we're going into relationships and we know we're not looking for them to be serious, and I don't know if that was the case for you or not, but it's certainly good to communicate that to people up front, right? Like it's good for people to have an idea of what you're looking for, what you're offering. And if there's some cap on that relationship for whatever reason, it's good for people to know that going in. Yeah. And putting that out there can make these situations a lot easier. That being said, sometimes we don't know, right? Sometimes we get into relationships and we find, oh, this really wasn't what I was looking for, or I was giving this a try and it grew bigger or or maybe grew less depending on the situation. And that's really when you're going to have to be honest, right? Because here's the thing for your partner, she may be seeing these signs that I'm putting air quotes around signs that your relationship is at a level that she is feeling like she is feeling this level. Maybe she has that much of a desire for this relationship to look that way. The thing is, neither one of you is wrong. It's now there has to be a conversation and it's not going to be a comfortable conversation, but you're going to have to have one. Yeah, we had an episode a while ago where somebody asked, uh, how do you break it to your partner that, you know, you have an STI? And it's the same kind of answer that I think is here, which is this is one of those things where there is no good way to break it, right? The only thing about it is you have to do it, and the sooner the better. So, I mean, that's what I would say. Like, this is something where you need to rip a Band-Aid off and essentially sit down and be like, hey, look, here's where I'm at with things. I want you to be aware. And, you know, the only thing I'd really say to that and Cassie may have a little more input is, um, you know, be kind about it. And I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't do it during an argument. Right. But other than those things, I really think the main thing is just you need to get it done. And it's something that there's not going to be a comfortable way to do. You just need to do it. Yeah, that was going to be my big thing was definitely do this in a caring way. Recognize that your partner may have some hurt feelings, might be a little upset. And so be a human about it. And the other thing that you may want to try when you're doing this is you didn't say you don't want a relationship with this person. You didn't say that you don't like what you already have. What you're saying is is that for you, it's not that serious and you don't want it to grow that to a a, a new point. So what you may want to tell the person is, is that you value what you guys have. Like start there, start with, I value this. This is what I enjoy but I want to let you know that this is where I'm at with things and I'm not looking for it to be X, Y, Z. That's good. That's all the questions. Yeah. All right, guys. So thanks again for your questions. And so we get a lot of people who write into us and ask, how can we help you guys out? We love your podcast. What can we do? That sort of thing. And honestly, guys, the biggest thing that helps us out is having reviews because folks flip through their Spotify, their iTunes, and see what other kinky and poly folks have to say about the podcast really helps them get an idea for what it is. 
Yeah, guys. So, well, two two things really help. One, share this podcast with your friends. But two, today, if you guys can, um, yeah, definitely go on iTunes, leave a review. Tell us you like it, you hate it, but leave a review there so other people can see what you think. And that would be great. And we would really appreciate it. So that's it for the day, guys. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1.